Welcome to the AFL Ratings Podcast, Round 18 Wrap. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. I'd like to welcome in co-host Aaron Bryans. G'day, Aaron. Hey, Pete. Adelaide versus GWS Wrap at Adelaide Oval on Saturday night. It was actually an excellent game. A quick start by the Crows, but then the match turned into a bit of a grind, and the Giants got home late by 14 points. Almost the tail of the season a little bit for Adelaide, or especially the past month, is... Uh, they're just falling a little bit short when they're getting matched against teams of equal quality. Like They've had a successful season, that's for sure. And the, the hardest part about taking that next step is the expectations. I think a lot of people saw them as a finals team, if not even a, a, a late contender, maybe a, fi- a fifth or sixth kind of team. But they're just still a little bit too young. And, and the Giants showed their experience. We talked a bit in the post game about you know the list profile and that the Giants are a little bit underrated if we look ahead into finals. I mean, they've got... Uh, half of their team was, you know, played in a grand final. You've got the likes of, you know, Kenelio, Kelly. Um, they've got these these senior players, Whitfield, who are in the 28, 29 region. So, and some excellent kids as well. And they they got their job done against the Crows without Tom Green, without Nick Haynes, without Lockie Keith, Xavier O'Halloran. So, you know, they they can only get better GWS, and they're almost this, um, you know, looming threat heading into the run home. They've got a pretty good draw. And I wouldn't be surprised if they crept into the eight. And yeah, they they completely obliterated Adelaide in in that last quarter in the centre clearances, and were just better inside fifty. And and the Crows, as we've seen over the past couple of years, yeah, they, they just fall short at the end of the season. And it's it's a concerning sign with the run they've got to come. I mean, Melbourne this weekend, they've got a showdown as well with Port Adelaide. They've got to go to the Gabba and play Brisbane. I'm just a little bit unsure now about their prospects this year. Yeah, the Giants do have very good depth and obviously some quality stars in that team. And interesting you mentioned that with regards to Adelaide falling a bit short. One consistent theme for a long time with uh, list builds is, you know, once once you start to sort of get into that contention range for finals, like inconsistency is still uh, out and about. 100%. I think you, you look at a team like Collingwood who keeps winning even at times when they're not playing their best football, but they, they understand the fight that's required when it gets tough. And that, that's why they're one of the better teams in the league. And Port Adelaide has shown that uh, aside from the Carlton loss, which you can argue a bit is, you know, a B team of Port Adelaide considering the outs. But they, in the weeks prior, they'd had these three 40-point runs against teams like Geelong and the Gold Coast as well. And they can show that when they need to turn it on, even against Essendon, um, they can go on these runs. And, and Adelaide just doesn't have that right now that... They're up for the fight, and they're certainly a good contested team. They've got one of the better forward lines in the competition, but their inexperience um, and the age profile of their list, they're just lacking that bit of polish when it when it comes down to the nitty-gritty end of the season, I think. One of the match winners on Saturday night was Toby Green. He was quite elusive in that forward line, kicked a great goal there as well for the Giants, and he finished with three goals. Yeah, I think Mike, Max Michelani actually did a pretty decent job of me in the, in the first part. I, he understand he, you know, he still managed to get on the scoreboard, but um, it looked like a fairly even contest. Green still was able to get around and, and find his own footy um, again when they needed him to. He stood up, especially in that final term. So, and that's you know what you're after in your skipper, but also as one of your senior leaders. That um, yeah, Toby Green has taken this huge step um, just in his maturity. In the past, obviously, we've known him as a player who's a high suspension risk, someone who's you know, can get a little bit razzled out on the field or frazzled out in the field. And, and it was almost the Crows that, that succumbed to the intensity and the emotion of the game. And, and Toby Green certainly didn't. He, he stood up in the big moments. Josh Kelly was outstanding. He got a little bit of attention early in the midfield for the Giants. And he finished with 28 disposals. 
Yeah, a great way to back up what was a really disappointing game against the Hawks. Six disposals tagged by Finn McGuinness. We, we spoke to Nathan Van Berlo on SA Grandstand in the build-up on Saturday morning, and, and he said that, well, basically he said, I'm kind of you know, I'm using his words and turning them around a little bit, but he essentially alluded that they weren't going to tag and they would end up you know, adjusting to what they saw and, and maybe making a decision based on that. And Chase Jones ended up being the guy that mm. that went to Josh Kelly. It, it wasn't the hardest of tags and it certainly didn't impact him at all. And yeah, a great way to bounce back from a, a career low performance to come out with 28 touches and a goal and, and really, you know, orchestrate um, that midfield dominance for the Giants. Matthew Nix acknowledged fatigue may be a bit of a factor. That was quite interesting in his post-game presser. Now with Darren Burgess uh, at the Crows there, that's that's sort of a little bit interesting from my point of view. Yeah, I think Crows fans will be a little frustrated that, yeah, when you've got a name like Burgess, who, to to his credit, they haven't had any major injuries this year, the Adelaide Crows. So from a, a football department perspective, from an injury management perspective, Burgess is doing a great job. Yep. It, it is just, yeah... That, that fatigue factor that seems to be a problem, how the longevity of, you know, their fitness when it comes to these tough games. I mean, round one against the Giants when they had that really hot game over in Sydney and they completely unraveled in the second half. And there's just been a few games like that where those fourth quarters, they, they've almost fallen a little bit short. So um, that, that's just something to, I guess, watch from afar. I don't think it's a huge talking point. I think the road form at the moment is still the biggest issue facing the Crows but yeah they're just young and we've seen it in the past with teams like Gold Coast that when you've got a lot of kids who are under 50 games and in their low 20s um, you know it's a long season and for someone like Josh Roselli for example like clearly he just needs a spell he's had a really long year Um, they took him out of the midfield for a patch and put Ben Keys in he's gone back in the past couple of weeks uh, and clearly just got to him he just he couldn't control himself in the heat of the moment yeah speaking about that frustration so I said ranking just three goals from his last four games Josh Rochelle at this stage suspended for two games a big focus on the small forwards at the Crows this week yeah the ranking one's an interesting thing uh the last couple of weeks even though he hasn't scored as heavily as he can he, he still certainly found a lot of his own footy but yeah, he was absent against the Giants on Saturday. I barely sighted him and, and realised almost in the third term that, yeah, gee, he just wasn't having an impact, um, which is, yeah, uncharacteristic. And, and Josh Rochelle, yeah, as I touched on before, he's currently suspended for two games, intentional uh, high contact, medium impact. And, I mean, he's got to go. I don't know if it'll be two. They may be able to reduce it down to one, but he elbowed Jack Buckley straight in the head. I mean, there's no way of getting out of that. It was unnecessary. It was stupid. It was ill-disciplined. Um, he'll learn from it. Um, just needs to pull his head in a bit, as do you know the entirety of the Adelaide Crows, who have had this very imposing forward line for such a large period of the season. But a lot of it is built on younger stars. And I mean, the, the flip side of a glass half full, Riley Philthorpe has, has taken a massive leap over the past couple of weeks. He, yeah. He's a great contested marker, which was the one thing they wanted him to improve heading into this year. So he's certainly ticked that box. Um, and McAdam was a was a great inclusion. He, he's fitted, fitted straight back into the lineup. So. It isn't all doom and gloom. It's just the, the the quality opponents that are coming over the next month and where they sit in the ladder, considering there's so many teams chasing those last couple of spots. It's it's going to be a really tough finish for the Adelaide Crows. Yeah, I'll just throw one more in here. Long-term, I'm really bullish on the Crows still. It might not happen for finals there this year, but that list build is going quite nicely. And from a fitness perspective under Burgess, like it will click at some stage. You know, and when it clicks, it'll be in a big way. 100%. And as Matthew Nix mentioned after the Collingwood loss, um, you know, 
they're still just learning how to handle big games. Uh, to be able to play at the MCG and get to a single-digit margin against Collingwood is, is no easy feat, and they'll learn from those experiences. The hardest part next year as we look ahead is there is an expectation that in 2024 they play finals, and that'll be the first year in a long time that Adelaide would be expected to actually do some damage in a season. So how do they handle the expectation when the list is at the right age the right experience to actually start performing at a consistent base. But that's going to be the big question heading in. Um, obviously, a lot of weight on their shoulders. But this year, they've certainly ticked enough boxes to say it's been a success. It's just um, it, because they've done so well in the early stages and we've seen these patches of brilliance, it, it does draw these expectations. And, and people, especially in Adelaide and uh, South Australia, kind of feel that they should be playing finals of the teams that are fighting to be in there. You know, Geelong's obviously a heavy candidate. The Bombers have been great, but you look at teams like St Kilda, you know, Gold Coast are in that hunt as well, Fremantle. Um, they're not as good as Adelaide. So the, the Crows, you know, rightfully should be fighting for seventh and eighth, but they just haven't won enough of the close games, especially the road ones that they should have, to really justify locking it in. We'll move on to Adelaide and GWS fantasy wrap here. So 131 from Rory Laird. Still handball to kick ratio was way out of whack, but a great score there. Yeah, I think he he's still scoring all right, um, considering, yeah, we, we have had our concerns about his role, that he's more of a link man rather than the, the finisher with his kicking and marking as well. But, yeah... He did. A, he had a really good night, considering that he had got absolutely cleaned up on the outer wing as well, and right. uh, had it looked like it could have been a really serious shoulder injury. To continue playing out and reach the score that he did was, yeah, a, a great result, especially for his owners. Four hundreds in his past five, so certainly consistent. Um, yeah, he's handy to have. I think he's still in the in the top eight midfielders if he he look ahead to finals. So. Um, yeah, uh, I wouldn't be too stressed if you've got him. Like He's, he's doing the job pretty well, but uh, he's just not captain material at the moment. On to consistency here, and that's Jordan Dawson, 123 points for him. Yeah, what a ripping run he's been on. We, we talk about captains, and yeah, start of the year it certainly was Rory Laird's, and we've, he's relinquished it to Jordan Dawson, who's just so reliable. Um, not only is he scoring hundreds, but he's going big, and a lot of that is his kick marking. Uh, he's finding open space out on the wings, um, obviously starting at centre balances as well, where he's getting a lot of tackles, getting some handballs out of that as well. So, um, yeah, he's, he's almost a bit of an everyman. And at times they'll throw him back as well to mix up the rotation, which means he, he gets some nice uncontested marks as well across the half-back line. So um, 120-plus in what's this? Five of his last six? Six of his last seven. Like, that's a massive run. Um, yeah. And, yeah, definitely a really good BC option. Um, depending on the fixtures. Obviously, Melbourne this week's a really tough ask, so I'd probably avoid that. But the showdown the week after, the Suns as well. And the most exciting part is that final round, you know, your grand final week. Jordan Dawson against the West Coast Eagles is <laughs> is pretty exciting. Yeah, it could absolutely go nuts. So next one here is Josh Kelly, 108 points. So a good bounce back from last week. Yeah, showed everything that we wanted. And, and the best part about it is, you know, he's still going to lose a little bit more money. So I'm planning on getting him next week at uh, my M8. I think, um, you know, he's a 129 break even. So he's going to drop basically to 800K, which is incredible for a guy that can average 110 at his best. So, um, yeah, he, he feels like the guy you could round out your team with. I mean, most people by now should have a full team of what we would say primos, you know, 700K plus. But, um, he's, he's the guy that hopefully, depending on what you're doing with your M8 situation, that, 
whether you boosted Sheldrick to someone this past week and you want to keep going, he, he's that next step. On to the last one here. So 105 points from Stephen Cornelio. So backed up a strong score last week with another one this week. Yeah, and I think it's it's a tight race at the moment in terms of the top six forwards. And I think Cornelio is probably just edging out Zach Butters now, who's had a pretty rough last couple of weeks. And we don't really know what's going to happen with this groin injury and if he does miss the Collingwood game. So mm. Stephen Cornelio certainly feels like the one to own um, and isn't too much of a price gap between him and Butters if you do need to make that move this week. So... Um, I've really liked his role this year. He's, he's a pure midfielder. He still finds a way to get uh, a couple of chances at goal just inside the arc around you know the half forward lines. So um, yeah, he, he's certainly impactful on the scoreboard, but finding enough of his own footy to reach a hundred most weeks. On to round eighteen, fantasy wrapped just some notable plays here to finish off. So one forty-two from Marcus Montepelli, and that was a perfect situation uh, in another top game. Plenty of ball on the outside as well, so uh, excellent score from Bont. Yeah, what a ridiculous year he's put together as well. I think the, the only downside of Bont was, um, even though he was scoring pretty consistently well, he was never really a, a, a strong captaincy option. You kind of knew he was a safe bet, but he was never a match winner. Uh, and for those who were able to put the VC on him over a Tim English, like incredibly brave and um, great reward for that. 142 is massive. Um, He's going to be very hard to get from here on out. Um, Clayton Oliver's injury obviously has left the door open for a star midfielder to take that role, and I think he is the best midfielder in fantasy now. If we ignore the DPP guys, he's the best pure mid available. So um, ridiculous year, considering what you could have got him for at the start of the campaign. Uh, and his role, yeah, just looks sturdy. I mean, we know that Bevo likes to throw the magnets around, but, but English to Bontempelli feels like a really common occurrence across most weeks. The uh, next one here in the same game, they're 140 points from Tim English, so up against Hayden McLean. He just dominated that uh, uh, contest for most of the night and obviously got there with a huge score. And it's going to be the same old story this weekend. Essendon coming up, Sam Draper out injured, um, so another big score is incoming. Uh, and again, a very favourable final series with Richmond, Hawthorne, West Coast and Geelong. And, and three of those four teams, especially the last three, Hawthorne, West Coast, Geelong, just leak scores to Ruckman. Mm. So, you know, you need to have him heading into the final series. Getting him is obviously going to be a difficult task. I'm currently a non-owner, and I was really hoping that he'd probably get you know, just over 100 over the next couple of weeks and continue to lose a little bit more money, and his 140 has balanced him right back out again. So uh, it feels like the high 900K, if not a million, is going to be you know, what you're going to have to pay to get him because he, he's just so consistent in terms of his big high scores that even when he does pull the odd 90, he just manages to level it out immediately. And next player, same game, obviously, here's Errol Goulden, 126 points. So it was a fast start by Goulden there. Yeah, he's he's been very reliable. Uh, and a little frustrating at times because he, he has these really big quarters and then quieter ones where you almost have this potential to go 150 most weeks but doesn't end up finishing that way. But he's still putting on some really good scores. And we've touched on it a couple of times that the role doesn't even really warrant it. You know, he's playing out on the wing. He's, he doesn't really feature at CBAs. He floats forward, but he, he just keeps running. He, he always seems mm. to be at every contest around the ground. He always seems to be the last person kicking inside 50 and hit a target. Uh, he, he's by far their best player out there at the moment, and um, you know it hasn't really impacted him, everyone returning. Obviously, um, Chad Warne is the last player to come back in. I don't think that changes his role at all. So um, Errol Gordon feels like, yeah, one to, to lock in. I mean, I brought him in for Josh Dunkley, so... Um, he's going to stay there, I think, in the meantime. But um, 
he's a top six forward, if not, you know, top two, top three, depending on how Dunkley goes on return this week. Next one here, so Simon Coogan eventually pulls the trigger of Brody Grundy out of that team, and that just opened the door for Max Gorn, 162 points. Amazing, and this is the tough call that's going to come, I think, for those who don't have Tim English um, and are you know, thinking about what to do, or even if you have Tim English but your R2 wasn't a Rowan Marshall and, and maybe you had a Briggs or, or a Sherry, um, you know, what do you do with that spot? Max Scorn's role was phenomenal, uh, and I just don't see Brody Grundy coming back in anytime soon. Mm. I mean, he didn't get a lot of minutes in the VFL practice match. It ended up being like 16 or 16 or something, so it wasn't you know, a fair chance for Brody Grundy to put his hand up, not that it would have mattered because Max Gorn was by far their best player and got them over the line at the end. So I think Gorn at least sees out the month, if not the rest of the year. It feels like, you know, Melbourne just clicked with him in terms of that role. Clayton Oliver obviously needs to come back in, but Petrarca up forward and Gorn in the ruck seems to be working at the moment. So I wouldn't really be tinkering with it if I was Simon Goodwin. So... The only downside with Gorn, and it's not really one considering his break even of 48, but the Crows in Richmond over the next couple of weeks are going to be tough to score on. Um, and he doesn't have the best of final series. I mean, North Melbourne and Carlton is going to be difficult. The Swans in the last round is certainly a great way to wrap up the year, considering they do league scores. So, yeah, Max Gorn is more of that affordable option, and it's going to be a tough call because it feels like Marshall and English are the top two, but Marshall didn't have a great score on the weekend. Does it leave the door if you've got the luxury to to decide maybe Max Gorn is the better option after his 162. Yeah, and I think Simon Goodwin will look at um, the, you know, 100-point-plus game, and, you know, they've struggled to hit the scoreboard for quite a significant part of that season. So I think he looks at that 100 points and he goes, well, that actually worked. And don't forget, Bailey Fitcher's out of that team, so you add him back into that uh, dynamic mix, and this is what Jake Melkson spoke about in post-game. They just wanted a bit of a dynamic mix. And, you know, Grundy just doesn't offer that. Like, he's a ruck. Like, it's pretty obvious for anyone that follows footy at a, even a minimal level that, you know, Grundy's just not a forward. So um, and it's a tough situation for him uh, to play out the rest of the year in the VFL. But that's actually, I agree, it's a quite a possibility there. And obviously, from a fantasy perspective, uh, that is a full go on Max Gorn there. So the next next player here is Christian Petrarca, 115 points. Um, so, you know, he's starting in the middle and he's playing some midfield and drifting forward. And so he's kicked eight goals last two weeks. So he's getting there from his fantasy points perspective. Had a massive opening term as well. Another that looked like it could have been, you know, 140, 150 if he'd kept up the pace, but almost disappeared a little bit in that second term. Uh, he's flourished without Clayton Oliver, but as you mentioned, the last couple of weeks there's been a slight role change with some more mid, uh, more forward minutes. And again, it hasn't hurt him. Um, you know, he is the star of the competition. You know, we're talking about a Norm Smith medalist, and yeah, like Marcus Bontempelli at times over the past couple of years, he, he hasn't felt like that elite premium option. Uh, and this year has certainly found that. You know, he's a lot more consistent. He can score at a high rate, uh, and doesn't have to require on just midfield minutes to do so. The part that I'd love to see is hopefully he can continue to play forward for a large portion of the regular season uh, and maybe sneak in a late DPP, who knows, for next year. But, um, yeah, I I think he's certainly – there's no rush to move him on. I understand that forward role is a concern, but it hasn't actually hurt his scoring at all. So if you do own him, um, I'd I'd certainly be holding on to him for now. There's no rush to get him in, but just look ahead to next year if you don't own him. Next one here, Nick Dagos, 132 points. Interesting from uh, senior coach Craig McRae at Collingwood that, uh, you know, with Dagos moving into the midfield 
and it's not a permanent move as such. It's, you know, they'll move him where the game needs uh, type language, but, you know, they'll manage Nick Dacos throughout the week. So if you hear those type of reports come out that, you know, Dacos was managed or we missed a training session, uh, this this is actually part of the plan from Collingwood. So I wouldn't be too concerned about any part of those reports. Uh, but, yeah, strong scoring rate. And if he doesn't get any attention in that game, you know, he, he's got a very high ceiling. Yeah, everyone I've spoken to across the year connected to the club have said that the long-term plan is to be, you know, a full midfielder. That that's the goal. They, they usually start players like this. I mean, you look at Harry Sheasel. They start him at half back just to help them find their feet, get a lot of footy with some easy ball. Uh, and Nick Dacos certainly did that, but also was able to impact games significantly from that role. So it was only a matter of time before they moved him into the midfielder and elevated him to the star that he is. The question is, yeah. how often do they do that? As you touched on, they, they need to be careful with his minutes. It's almost a Josh Rochelle situation where you don't want to throw him in the deep end for too long, too early. They've got a big finals campaign coming up as well that they'll need him for. So don't expect the role we saw against Fremantle every week. But, yeah, we know that when he goes there, he's going to end up with some massive scores. I mean, a 132. So, you know, he's helpful across half back. But uh, once he finally converts into the, into the midfielder, we know he's going to be. Like, he's... He's going to be one of the best players in the competition and, and maybe like an M1, M2 possibility as of next year. Like He's going to be super hard to get in terms of his original price round one. But um, if his role is pure mid, as the plan is, starting next year, hmm. Nick Dacos is probably worth it. On to the next one here, uh, Dan Hughes in 156 points. So Port Adelaide under pressure uh, from pretty much from the first bounce and Carlton got the better of it of them throughout the game. It was a high inside 50 game for both teams. But yeah, obviously the scoreboard really started to hurt Port Adelaide there. And obviously Carlton also let Dan Houston go 156 points, as I said. 41 touches, massive. And he's had a really good last three weeks, if not last month. It's a great stretch. I mean, the, the issue with Dan Houston, as we've touched on a bit, is he can be a little hit and miss. Like He has these big scores, but he's not a top six defender because he, he's... He does drop down to the 80s, sometimes 70s, 60s. If he, He's not his night, but his form line at the moment certainly warrants it. Uh, he's looking much more uh, reliable as a backline general and certainly floating forward um, to find plenty of the footy across the wings. Will it happen when they go back to full strength? I'm not entirely sure. I mean, that backline was so exposed on the weekend against Carlton that mm. they'll need to make some adjustments um, in terms of their tools. Uh, and whether or not that, you know, impacts the role of Dan Houston, who likes to, you know, float up the wings and, and head move up towards half forward. I mean, Dersma back in didn't seem to worry him too much, which is a good sign. But, um, yeah, I'm not sure if, you know, we're going to see this week in, week out from Dan Houston. Like, he, he is going to have some games where, um, when your Connor Rosies and your Jack Butters have massive ones, he tends to disappear a little bit down back as, um, you know, not the star that we know he can be. Last one here, Luke Davis Unaki. So a couple of monster scores the last couple of weeks, 136 points from him. And against the Hawks, he was outstanding. Yeah, a little heartbreaking. I was thinking about bringing him in, and then Finn McGuinness stayed on the side, and I thought, oh, it's probably not worth the risk. Um, you know, he was really affordable off that 122 against the Cats, and they ended up tagging Sheezel and, and let him run a mark, 138. Um, he's got a really good BE of 52. Yeah, he feels like the guy to get uh, at M8 if you're looking for... Um, you know, a way to cap off your team if you haven't already. Um, so we talked about, you know, your Josh Kellys, who can be probably, probably one more week away from getting, and, and Luke Davies Uniac could be the stepping stone to him. Even like a, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's worth more than Sam Walsh, Luke Davies Uniac at the moment. So, like, you, you've got a guy who 
if it doesn't work, you can move him to some other options over the next few weeks. Tuke Miller, Josh Kelly, Sam Walsh, possibly if that role gets better. So he's low risk, but high reward in terms of the value you can get if he, if he manages to roll out a couple of hundreds over the next few weeks. Um, he's a guy that can get you to a star for finals. Oh, where can the listeners find you this week, Aaron? Uh, so they can find me on at, at Aaron Bryan's on Twitter, um, calling Port Adelaide and Collingwood Saturday night, which is very exciting. We've had a, a couple of weeks with um, teams around the eight, if not lower in the, the bottom eight the last couple of weeks, but we've got a genuine blockbuster this Saturday night, which is incredibly exciting. I mean, it's a chance for Port Adelaide to undo all the wrongs of, of round two and show that they certainly are worthy of being in that grand final discussion and if not an actual competitor to Collingwood who at the moment feel like the outright favourite. So really excited to see whether or not they can hold their own against the Magpies. Um, so, yeah, you'll be able to hear that on the ABC Listener, uh, the AFL app as well, and on ABC Radio across the country. It's actually quite a critical game because, you know, if Port Adelaide can win, they can start to show up that second place uh, spot on the ladder, at least as a minimum, and uh, quite critically, you know, home final uh, week one and obviously home final week three and straight into a grand final. So uh, their path is pretty much in their own hands at the moment if they can beat Collingwood this week, your thoughts there? Yeah, I think they, they made the step in changes. I mean, some of them were legitimate injuries, others were more rests, and they did that against Carlton purely for the run that was coming up. They, they knew they had Collingwood, they then have the showdown, and then they have to play Geelong at Cadenia Park. So they were really eyeing off this next three as the run that they wanted to make an impact, and you, you want to head into finals, you know, believing that you belong there. I think top two is pretty much locked away. They're, they're two games clear of Brisbane and would need something dramatic to go wrong from here. But the Collingwood game is so important just from a mental aspect. They got demolished at the start of the season at the MCG and they looked completely out of place against the Magpies. Uh, the pressure just unraveled them. So to be able to, I understand it's at home, which does play a bit of a factor, but to be able to at least be competitive, even if it's not a win, but it's, a close loss just shows that, you know, if we're heading towards this grand final between these two sides, that it's actually a worthy matchup. Because Collingwood at the moment just feel above and beyond the rest of the competition, and we need yeah. someone to stand up to them. So you can find me at AFL Ratings, Pete, on Twitter, aflratings.com.au, and AFL Ratings Twitter accounts there as well for a stack of fantasy information to help you out on a weekly basis. Well, Aaron, all the best for trades this week, and we'll catch up with you next week. Thanks, Pete.